scripture for today comes from Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 47. Peter preaching at Pentecost. And we see how God shows up in an amazing way. If you want to follow along with me, you're welcome to do so. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 47. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers and sisters, we all know that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised on him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven... And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we look at this passage, and though it was... Nearly 2,000 years ago when it was first uttered and written. Lord, we thank you for your providence and your safety in regards to your word. That it comes to us today fresh and new, still as bold and fresh as what it was when it was first given. When Peter delivered this sermon and, and, and called the people to repentance. Lord, may we hear from you today. May the Holy Spirit show up in amazing ways in our lives. Not that he's not already here, for he's been here long before we ever encountered this space or dawned in this place. But God, may we hear you. 
May we sense you. And may we respond in simple obedience. We, the people who come to celebrate and commune together your body and your blood, as we remember the sacrifice you've given, may we understand the call that you have on our lives to be fruitful, to prosper, to do good, to encourage, but to pursue you in all that we do, in all that we say. May our lives be an offering to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I look at this sermon from Peter, from Acts chapter 2, there are a couple of things that I think that we need to look at, and those are the things that to me jump off the page when I read them. And the first one is this, that you and I in our obedience to Christ, and you and I as we read about him, as we study about him, as we read his word, you and I have got to have a moment in our lives when we are cut to the heart. You and I have to have a moment where our heart is captivated by the one who has called us, by the one who has put us in the very place that we are. You'll notice in Acts chapter 2, the scripture says in verse 23, that this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What I think is so prolific about this passage is that Peter goes back and he refers to the Old Testament, which was written eons before this text was written, or before the day of Pentecost. And yet David's words still reign true generations after he lived. And Peter uses this scripture to really give a prelude to Jesus. To announce to Jesus and to announce to the people that Jesus Christ, whom we have persecuted, whom died as a result of our sin, as our work, as our anger, as our frustration, this man who went to the cross died for us, but death would not have victory over him, and we could be heirs to his kingdom. He says, therefore, in verse 36, let all of you be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That meant that he was above all, and yet he was also the promised one that was to come. And when they heard this, in verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When you and I experience a cut to our hearts, we will respond in like matter and we will ask, what now should we do? Because when our hearts are affected, when God, the Holy Spirit, through his miraculous work, when he works in our lives and he works in our hearts, it causes us to question and want to do something more than what we're currently doing. That's why many people come to Christ, because in a moment they sense his presence, they sense the movement of of the Spirit, even though they can't describe it, they can't articulate it necessarily, but they'll tell you that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has moved in my life, then cut to the heart. And what does that say? It says that the gospel moves us to decision. The gospel moves us because it's inspired by the living God. The Holy Spirit works in our lives. These are scriptures, but when these scriptures are uttered, the Holy Spirit, through God's amazing work, does something miraculous. The gospel goes forth and calls us 
to faith. God calls us to faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this storyline in Acts chapter 2, with this early gathering, 3,000 people were added in one day. Why? Because they were cut to the heart. So my question for you today is, have you experienced a moment spiritually where you've been cut to the heart? I don't care whether you can name the date. It doesn't matter whether you can name the date. I, for one, cannot tell you the exact day that I came to know Christ. Now, I've heard many a preacher say, well, if you can't remember it, it must not have been important. It was very important. I'll never forget the time, but I can't necessarily specify to you the date. Why? Because my faith was not a Damascus Road experience, which many of you, a lot of times I've always I've been fascinated by people's stories and testimonies. We sometimes get so caught up in our story that we fail to understand the impact of the gospel. Every story is unique. Some of you, it was a dramatic experience in which you came. There was a dramatic change and you were lost and you were caught up in sin and you were in the wretchedness of what it is to live in the worldly life and suddenly there was this light from heaven that shone and you were radically changed in that moment and your testimony we kind of speak to that. But others of you grew up in a Christian environment or church environment. And some of you might say today, honestly, I've never known a time that God has been away from me. But what is important is this. Not that you were mired up in sin. Not that you have a vivid or colorful testimony. But that your heart was cut by the truth of the gospel through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I hope and pray that you did not respond merely at a revival or a worship service because you were moved emotionally by what was happening in the, mo in the room. That is the danger for us as Christians. A lot of us are moved in worship by music and song, but we're not necessarily moved by the Holy Spirit. And there is a difference. I can be emotionally drawn to something, but when my heart has been changed, when my heart has been impacted by God, I will never, ever leave the same. So what about you? Have you had a moment where you've been cut to the heart, like verse 37 says? The arrow of the gospel, the truth of Christ, has penetrated the depths of who you are. And no matter what you want to say, no matter what you want to do, you can't do anything else but serve the Lord or ask the question, what do I do now? Because His light has shone in the midst of your darkness. No matter how bright your darkness was or how deep or dark your darkness was, His light has shone and it has impacted you from now until eternity. We need to be cut to the heart. But not only that, we need to repent and be baptized. In verse 38, the passage says, after they asked, brothers, why, uh, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, to, I don't want to play uh, denominational lines here, but let me just be very quick to say this. 
Repentance means that you have turned directions, that your life has been altered, that you were on one course in this walk, and suddenly because of Christ's impact or the Holy Spirit's movement, you've been cut to the heart. You are now going to change direction and go in the opposite direction than where you were going. That's the kind of perspective that Christ brings. It is a complete change, a 180 degree turn in our lives because here's what else I want to say no matter how good you were no matter how moral you were no matter how good you looked no matter how good you talked no matter how you surrounded yourself with other believers or surrounded yourself with the right crowd when you did not know Christ you were still lost as the day was long and you were still bound for hell But God, who was rich in his mercy, saw to it that he would give you the gospel of Christ. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, your life has been altered. When Jesus shows up, our lives change. If Jesus has showed up in your life and your life is not changed, I'm going to tell you, based on scripture, that you had an emotional moment with the gospel. It was not lasting. Because people who trust in Christ are changed individuals. It does not mean that they're perfect. They're still going to make mistakes. He says, you need to repent and be baptized. Now, in this day and time, particularly in this area of northeast Tennessee, I didn't realize that when I came here I was going to walk into a, a kind of a, a, an army or into a war about what baptism means. Baptism is about the change that has happened in your life as a result of the Holy Spirit. Baptism does not save you. Repentance, belief in the person of Jesus Christ, that is what saves you. Not the work that we do, but the work that God is doing in us. It is our belief and trust in the confidence of who God we believe in the one and begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, and that makes a difference. We are baptized as a result of being obedient to Scripture. Baptism in Scripture, if it could be done, was by immersion. It meant you went under the water. It was not by sprinkling. But I want to say this to you. There are people who have never gone into a baptistry who have accepted Christ and who die, and I believe, based on their profession of faith, that they are children of God and they will experience eternity in heaven. Because a person who trusts in Christ has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Don't get caught up in the act that you and I do as a result of what God has done. Be caught up in the act of what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what makes all the difference. Not whether the the water was warm or the water was fresh or the water was cold. It wasn't how deep you went. It wasn't how far under you went. It wasn't how long the preacher held you under. It is the miraculous work of God. God said saves that settles it period we need to repent and be baptized a change of direction as a result of our change 
of heart. And then it goes on to say, I want you to notice this, the fellowship of the believers. See, for most of us, in most of our Baptist Bibles that we have, if you have the HCSB, which I call the hardcore, hardcore Southern Baptist Bible, it's a new translation that came out about 10 years ago. We have the NIV and the KJV and all these other translations. And I get asked all the time, what is the best translation that you would recommend? The best translation that you can get is the translation that you'll read. That's the best translation you need. The one that you will actually read. The one that you will actually read. Your Bible was not meant to be pretty so you can put it on a shelf. It was meant for you to engage. It was meant for us to engage. And one of the problems in Baptist life is this. We preach, we preach, we preach, we preach about repentance and forgiveness and coming to Christ. And then once that happens, it's like verse 42 and following does not exist in Baptist life. Or we gloss over it. Because what we pick up on is we're all about eating. Let's fellowship and eat. We're all about that. Get some fried chicken. Notice what happens as a result of being cut to the heart, of repenting and being baptized. Then verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is more than fried chicken. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Notice, it does not say that they debated doctrine. It does not say that they challenged one another about biblical tenets. It says they were committed to fellowshipping with one another, the breaking of bread. They all had everything in common. Why? Because most important to that early Christian community was Christian community. When you and I, as followers of Christ, who have been cut to the heart, who have received the Holy Spirit, who have been baptized by the Spirit of God, when we forsake all, everything else, and pursue one another in love and in communion and in fellowship, amazing things happen. You and I will be in all too. Because when you and I are as committed as these guys were at Pentecost, when you see the radical movement of God's hand and 3,000 people coming to Christ. Let me tell you why 3,000 people came to Christ. 3,000 people came to Christ not because Peter was a great speaker, not because it was a great church to attend. 3,000 people came to Christ because in that moment, in that time, 3,000 people were more, in, were more intentional and they cared more about what God had to say than anything else. And they wanted to make sure that when they lived out their lives, they pursued Christ. They wanted to make sure that they sought the betterment and encouragement of each other. Show me a church that models this and I'll show you a church that will be bursting at the seams. Why? Because when you and I put aside what we want... For the sake of unity. When we put aside what we desire for the sake of communion. When we put aside what we would like for the sake of the needs of others. When we're willing to go to the point that we're willing to sell property. When we're willing to give away our wealth in order to help others in need that are within the confines of our congregation. That's when you know God has cut people to the heart. Because let me tell you something. Nobody's going to get rid of what they own just to get rid of it.
They do it as a result of something amazing that's happened in their lives. They've had a wake-up call. Hopefully, they've had a cut to the heart by the gospel of Christ. There was a yearning for greater understanding of Scripture, a pursuit of God. Hearts were affected and people were being saved. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 47, or verse 41, or actually you could do the verse 41 or 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When the church becomes the church that Christ intended her to be, amazing things will happen in your life and in our faith community. When you are willing to put aside your issues, your problems, when you're willing to step outside of yourself and really look at the cross, when you're willing to go beyond whether you've dotted your I's or crossed your T's, and when you're willing to gaze in the eyes of Jesus and say, God, here I am. You have affected my life. I want more of you. I hunger and thirst for more of you. I want you be, to be at the center of my life. I want you to be at the center of my home. I want you to be at the center of your church. Then this, ladies and gentlemen, takes on a new meaning. Because at this table, everybody gets the same amount of bread. Everybody basically gets the same amount of the cup. When we come to Christ, he's the same for us all. He desires to be Lord over your life and Lord over my life. The gospel still goes out. The gospel still reigns true. And the gospel is simply this. And we know it. We know the gospel. We've heard the gospel. It can be encapsulated in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whosoever would believe in him. Would not die. But would have eternal life. It is that simple. The gospel cut to the heart. It changed people's lives. People responded. People made a 180 degree turn. They repented. And they devoted themselves to the teaching of scripture. To fellowship. To communion. And prayer. A church that prays together stays together. A church that fellowships together stays together. A church that communes together stays together. A church that teaches together and learns together stays together. A church that's committed to the tenets of the gospel of Christ in teaching it and calling people to repentance and calling people to salvation and encouraging people to this altar where God does his business is a church, ladies and gentlemen, that will stay together. Don't get caught up in the details of the gospel. Be consumed by the gospel. It's his gospel. It's his truth. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the best news we're ever going to receive. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the gospel of Christ, the good news of his death and tremendous, powerful resurrection. Fathers, we come to a time of invitation as your Holy Spirit deals with people and circumstances. So many of us think, and as we, as we took communion today, and we think to ourselves, I just don't feel good enough. I just don't feel worthy enough. To that young man, to that young girl, I want to say, it's not about you. It's about him.
He was good enough. Because he was the best that God had to offer. Why? Because he was God. For others of you today who come to this place, you say, you know what? I've loved being a part of First Baptist, and today I want to make it known. I want, I want to be an integral part of this church family. We want to give you opportunity. For others that may be struggling with decision about what they need to do, what course of action they need to take in their careers, how God is dealing with you and how the Holy Spirit's working in your heart today, some of you got clarity of whatever you needed. And today you're going to leave with a greater understanding and appreciation of who He is and what He's calling you to do how he's asking you to bloom exactly where you are. And so our prayer is that you will flourish before him. That you will be encouraged where you're discouraged. That you will be empowered where you are weak. But that we would never diminish the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need to be cut in our hearts, as a result of your work in our lives. God, may we respond in this invitation, in our obedience, seeking your face, turning from whatever we've pursued before, and pursuing you with all of our might, with all of our strength. May we become a part of this fellowship, of this, the body of Christ at First Baptist Church where we encourage each other, we commune with each other, we fellowship with each other, we pray with each other. And God, that you are growing us daily, spiritually and otherwise. God, we thank you for your growth. We thank you for your help. We thank you for your work in our lives. And God, now in this invitation, as we respond, may we be faithful just as you have been faithful and true to us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.